Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Kate Eshelman, a pediatric psychologist at the Center for Pediatric Behavioral Health at Cleveland Clinic Children's. She's here today to talk to us about the mental health of children and teens with cancer. So welcome, Kate. Great. Thank you for having me. So give us a little idea. What do you do here at Cleveland Clinic? So I'm a pediatric psychologist, which means that I work with children, adolescents, young adults, and their families that have a medical diagnosis. And I'm the psychologist for our peds hematology oncology program. Um, So here for us, from an oncology perspective, anytime we have a new diagnosis or somebody that has, is new to us, so they've been treated somewhere else and come to us for care, um, pediatric psychology is a routine consult. So we meet all of these families that come through. So that's good. So this is, this is kind of everyone through the door gets sort of an assessment, which is different than on the adult side. That's so right. that's good. Yep. And you mentioned everyone coming through the the progress. Does that mean like BMT and liquids and solids? That's right. Okay. Every oncology diagnosis, um, and in particular with BMT, we are part of the psychosocial evaluation prior to transplant. Gotcha. So tell us a little bit about um, the the biggest issues that that you think come about with children, teens um, facing cancer, and and I'm guessing there might be different issues for each of those groups. That's right. Um, It really varies a lot based on age and then type of diagnosis and related treatment. Um, So for young kids, you know, they they really don't have the ability to understand what is happening to them and why. Um, Also kind of developmentally, you know, there's a lot of separation concerns and that sort of thing. Um, You know, little kids are are looking to build their independence and autonomy and, and, you know, by nature of treatment, we take a lot of that away. And so so those are some of the things that little kids face. Um, You know, older kids are also looking to develop their independence and autonomy in a different way, you know, um, kind of separating from the home a little bit more and and really the importance of peers. And that is very disrupted. Um, You know, we we pull the kids out of school, out of their social activities. Um, And so those those things are distressing to kids and families, Um, you know, and then there's things like pain, um, you know, nausea, you know, symptom management, that sort of thing. So it, it really varies by age, diagnosis, and treatment. And I, I guess when we think about um, doing the assessments and treatments, I'm guessing that varies dramatically based on age. It does. You know, and we ask a lot of the same questions depending on age. Um, but, you know, a lot of the interventions that we're going to provide are different based on age. You know, the other thing is we look a lot at what was functioning of both the child and the family before diagnosis. Um, you know, in psychology, we say the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so if there are any concerns with mood, behavior, adherence, that sort of thing, that's probably going to impact current care. So we want to be mindful of that as well. Excellent. And and when we think about the, the impacts of cancer on children, families, does it tend to be more the tumor itself? Does it tend to be sort of the uncertainty about the tumor, the treatments, a little of all of it? Yes, a little bit of all of it, right? Because again, you know, depending on the nature of the diagnosis, you know, so for a solid tumor, um, you know, we, we might be looking at, you know, major surgery, potentially amputation, that sort of thing, which is going to impact, um, you know, a child in a certain way. Um, alternatively, you know, if it's more of a, a blood cancer, you know, the treatment tends to be a little bit longer. And, and while it kind of eases over time um, and decreased time in the clinic and that sort of thing, it's just a longer treatment. Um, so it's pretty variable depending on the diagnosis. And when you talk about um, treating the, the, the child with the cancer, 
the family, the parents. Um, how do you approach things like the parents and what, what sort of resources are available for the, the parents? And Absolutely. And we really do say, you know, we're not just here for, for the child. You know, the child is certainly diagnosed with cancer, but the whole family goes through it. Um, so all of the resources that are available to the kids are also available to the families. We've actually developed what we call our sibling outreach program. Um, so that's both kind of um, supportive and, and therapeutic as well as educational and supportive interventions meant for the siblings as well. Um, and we really are fortunate to have a robust psychosocial program here. So, um, you know, in the R building up on the second floor, every Wednesday there's a sibling expression art group. Um, there's another one that happens over at the Children's Hospital for Rehabilitation. Um, both of those are for any kind of diagnosis. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be oncology. Um, but we do have a lot of supports available here through the clinic. And then we're also partnered with community agencies like the Gathering Place, um, you know, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a special wish. So a lot of resources that are really able to support the whole family. And I guess um, I guess I ask because I'm not certain how how unique is that to here at the clinic. So I know on the adult side, um, lots of focus on the patients. We've we've gotten better at um, caregiver support. Is that sort of family and, and parent support? Is that kind of universal or is that something we've kind of developed in a, in a more special way? I think probably a little bit of both. I think that we'd like to think it's universal, but, you know, we're consistently hearing stories from families that have come from elsewhere um, where they haven't had access to psychology or, you know, referrals in the community. And so, um, you know, I think that we are fortunate to have our programming and I think the hope is that it's that way other places. Um, there are now published um, psychosocial standards of care in pediatric oncology, and so I think that has been a great guide for programs in, in terms of how to develop their supportive programming um, for, for families. So hopefully over time everyone can develop that. And so it's great to know that you guys are taking a look at patients kind of up front and starting from the beginning, but are there any particular things that, that people might be listening that physicians might need to be mindful of and keep an eye on. So even though someone's seen it like, eh, you know, I'm seeing this, what, what, what are those kind of red flags? But I think, you know, before maybe specifically mentioning red flags, even thinking about that, um, you know, there is kind of a, a typical adjustment, you know, so even caregivers that have been doing this for years and years, you know, they'll come to me in distress because somebody's crying. Of course they're crying. You know, this is really a big deal um, in somebody's life. And so I think, you know, to have some reaction, I always tell families that it's not the reaction. You know, anything you're thinking or feeling is not abnormal. It's the situation that's abnormal. Um, and so there's some level of, of kind of a, a typical reaction um, or something that's not unexpected. So I want, you know, people to be mindful of that as well. But then when you really see very intense distress, you know, maybe beyond what one would think or very prolonged, you know, so everyone has a bad day now and then, but if it turns into, you know, a bad few days, a bad week, a bad few weeks, and is really um, disruptive to functioning. So that's kind of what we really keep in mind too, looking at interference in things that kids or families, you know, either want to do, um, you know, so they're no longer engaging in enjoyable activities or they're unable or unwilling to do the things that they need to do, right? Um, we talk a lot about maintaining expectations of kids as they're going through treatment. You know, those expectations might change a little bit, but but we still want to have expectations for contributions around the house and, and schoolwork and the way that we treat others and that sort of thing. Um, and so if you really see impairment or disruptive um, disruption and functioning of things that kids want to do or need to do, that would be a red flag. And I guess, is there similar guidance that you give to, to families in terms of, you know, how to keep an eye on their kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talk a lot through this and, and we see them so often, you know, it's very rare that, um, you know, we, we 
meet people up front. And then they're either admitted for, you know, a fair amount of time or they're coming back to clinic regularly. So they have a lot of eyes on them. And I think that's important for parents to know, you know, they aren't expected to go through this alone. Um, You know, there's a lot of, you know, whether it's their primary oncologist or their nurse practitioner or care coordinator or psychologist, child life specialist, social worker, you know, there's a lot of eyes on the, the patients and their families and to call on those for supports. Um, you know, also oftentimes when families come in, hopefully they have an established relationship with their pediatrician. And, you know, that's a trusted source. So reaching out to that that trusted source is a great idea as well. Which, in pedi- you know, in this patient population is probably very helpful because oftentimes I'm seeing patients who haven't seen a primary care for years. So right. that could be certainly helpful. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things that's always a problem on the adult side is, unfortunately, mental health issues with patients with cancer is a huge problem but there's still a stigma associated with it. And so do you find that that's the case in children's side or they may be a little more accepting of help? I think that they're probably a little more accepting of help because we are a routine diagnosis. You know, and, and I tell families that up front. You know, we're introduced as part of the team. You know, it's, it's routine multidisciplinary care. And, you know, and I think that's a, a benefit over, you know, getting consulted as needed because, you know, I think families can be a little reluctant if, if they feel that we have been asked to come in because there's a problem. But I'm not able to do this often, but sometimes, you know, just rounding with the team. So I'm a familiar face. You know, I'm often documenting at the nurse's station. So when they come out to ask for, you know, a, a cup of ice, they see my face. And so I'm, I'm kind of just always present. And I think that makes it more acceptable. What what does it look like in terms of transitions? You know, you have patients who get treated, particularly patients with long-term issues, um, treated in a pediatric setting, and then they transition more to adult settings. Do, do you maintain contact or do you, you refer to, to people? How, what does that look like? Sure. I mean, I, I smile because, you know, transition is thing that, you know, broadly throughout pediatrics that everyone continues to work on. But here at Cleveland Clinic Children's, we actually have a survivorship program. Um, so patients that have been off therapy for a long time for a, a childhood cancer, continue to be seen in pediatrics, um, you know, through the survivorship program. And so, again, I think as part of that, uh, the established psychosocial standards of care, we are really looking and working on um, checking in at those time points because when things are better, people tend to, to kind of fade away. Um, and then sometimes we miss when things, you know, if things or when things get worse again. And so we're working to kind of establish those check-in time points. But even through the survivorship program, um, we have questionnaires that are hopefully filled out in advance of those appointments. And then Dr. Rotz will reach out to me um, and we figure out where to go from there. I mean, certainly long-term issues like fear of recurrence is really, really big in my uh, patient population. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess you would have kind of two patients, if you will, because you'd have, that might be an issue with the children, but also with the families. That's right. You know, and and oftentimes, you know, kids come in with relatively benign symptoms, you know, pain or a fever, things that most kids get. And most of the time it's not cancer, right? And so how do families adjust kind of back to that life of, you know, what do I do if if a child has a fever? and, And, you know, is this the beginning of the end or are we back at it again? And so really working to, um, you know, acknowledge and, and normalize those experiences um, and continue living with them. So you mentioned before about things like support groups and things. So so what are, what are some examples? You mentioned the, um, the therapy that, that happens uh, within the building. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other support things that are done? What you mentioned gathering place. What, what other resources? Give us a little idea of what what exactly that looks like. Sure. And it's a little bit different, actually a little bit different all the time. And I think that the key is, and, and what we really see a lot in pediatrics is that people and, and families don't necessarily want to be here 
more than they have to be. And so I think that was one thing that evolved with the pandemic is, you know, options for virtual, um, you know, virtual su- support groups or um, educational events, that sort of thing. And so it, it kind of varies by timeline um, and families that are interested. But, you know, again, um, we're working to develop our adolescent young adult um, support groups and um, the, the Gathering Place has recently started a parent support group. It's virtual. So it kind of just depends. I think maybe just one thing um, yeah. for people to know too is that for the most part, kids do well, um, yeah. you know, that kids are resilient. And so most of the time the kids get through this and, and go on to live, you know, happy, healthy, successful lives. And so, um, you know, to provide some reassurance to parents for that as well. And especially when you have these resources and utilize them, you know, we're going to increase that chance. And so don't be afraid to, to be open to the resources. What are the biggest uh, gaps? What, what, what do we need to do to improve? It sounds like a, a quite honestly, a much more robust coverage um, on the pediatric side. But what what are the gaps? What needs to happen? That's a great question. And I don't think we always know. You know, I think we feel that we're doing a pretty good job. I think we are fortunate, too, because pediatric oncology in particular is a well-resourced group. You know, I think there's a lot of organizations that really want to contribute to kids and um, that have cancer and their families. Um, you know, and so I think the thing that we're, we're really working on is just being consistent, um, you know, making sure that we are offering all of these opportunities to every family. I think, you know, again, if they're farther out in treatment and it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, but we don't want to lose those families, you know, and so I think just probably that consistency is what we continue to, to work on and develop. But I think we're fortunate that, that we don't have a lot of gaps. Um, you know, I think another goal for this year is, is to really work with our healthcare partners, um, our subcommittee of the pediatric um, hematology oncology healthcare partners, which are a group of caregivers that have, and in this particular instance, uh, they're caregivers of children that have received care in pediatric hematology oncology, and and so I'd love to get their input on what they identify the gaps to be because I think that's the voice that we need um, to know, you know, where we need to improve. One of the things that all, sometimes presents a, a barrier is coverage. Is that seem to be a problem? And it sounds like maybe not with the children, but, you know, oftentimes if you start involving, you know, things like families and, you know, siblings and, and parents, is that is that an issue in terms of coverage for services? It has not historically been an issue, I would say, in, in Pete's Hemonk, you know, of all the services that we offer, um, the, the psychosocial support services, I'm the only billable service. So child life, art therapy, music therapy, that sort of thing, they don't bill. So coverage is never an issue. Um, you know, I think fortunately um, in my realm, you know, I can work with families um, and, you know, if, if the child has an oncology diagnosis, that's a, a medical diagnosis. We have health and behavior codes. And part of those service codes are, you know, family therapy with or without patient. Um, and so we do tend to have some flexibility for doing that. You know, I think too, oftentimes if a child has services covered through the Cleveland Clinic, generally the parents are on the same insurance coverage program. So if we refer to another provider in the clinic, that tends to be covered. So we're often able to work through that and it hasn't been a frequent issue. That's excellent. Yeah. I guess if, if people are listening in and they're like, you know what, that, uh, I think we could probably do better in this arena. What guidance would you give them? I think one, go to the literature, um, you know, and, and see the publication of these standards of care. Really, you know, it's they're, they're very robust. They're very detailed. Um, they give a matrix to measure how you're doing. And so I think that's a great place to start. Um, and, and talk to colleagues. You know, I think not necessarily peer supervision, but if you have a listserv, you know, depending whatever your specialty is, you know, if you have a listserv 
reach out to the listserv, um, you know, Google, you know, Google psychologists who specialize in, in pediatric cancer and don't feel, you know, don't feel afraid to reach out. You know, I think um, all of us are in helping professions and that doesn't just mean, you know, helping our patients and families. You know, we're an academic medical center. We have lots of trainees that we work with. And so, you know, I think everyone's pretty willing to help um, and, and nobody wants to recreate the will. Um, so people being, you know, offering to help and, and, their, share their resources, I think is pretty common. So feel free to reach out. Excellent. Well, it looks like uh, you guys have a, a, a really nice service to, to provide to patients and you know it's, it's very needed. And so it's great to see. So appreciate you being here and giving us some insight. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. To make a direct online referral to our Tosic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.